Amen. God bless you. Let's give Sister Master a hand as she comes. Praise the Lord. Let's lift up that worship to him one more time. Lord, we worship your holy name. We praise you and we magnify you, Jesus. We invite your presence into this place and we ask that you move on behalf of your people, Jesus. In your name we pray. You can go ahead and be seated if you'd like. I do want to give honor to whom honor is due. Um, he had probably more accolades for me than I probably am deserving of. But I will say this, that Brother French took a chance on an 18-year-old kid that he knew absolutely nothing about. I was just talking to Sister French about this today. I still have no clue how he got my name. We hadn't even formally met at the college, but I got a call that he wanted me to come in and, and interview with him. Walked in his office. He had a huge stack of student notebooks sitting there. Me being the clumsy young person I was, knocked off the whole stack of notebooks. So I'm just devastated at this point, thinking I have just made a complete fool of myself. And, uh, of course, he's more than gracious and helps me clean them up and everything. But over the years, brother and sister French invested in my life and my ministry um, more than words could ever express. And I'm thankful to be here with you all today to see your beautiful church, to feel the presence of God in this place, and to know that, that you've got a wonderful pastor, you've got a wonderful bishop, and, of course, your first ladies and your associates as well. So I'm, I'm thankful to be with my friends and family here today. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight on the importance of punctuation. Now, uh, when Brother French first talked to me, he said you usually do teaching Sunday night, but that I could teach or preach just to kind of take my liberties. And so I hope you, that you all are okay with that. I had originally planned on uh, doing a little bit of teaching, perhaps from James. Last night I went to bed. God woke me up uh, literally an hour after I went to sleep. In this message that I preached about three or four years ago, I have several newer sermons that I would have probably rather have brought out. But it popped into my head, and literally over the course of the night, I woke up three or four additional times with ways to kind of re redo this, this, this sermon. So I know that he has a message for somebody here today. I know I may not be reaching for everybody, but I know that he has a word. And so I appreciate um, this opportunity, and I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on the importance of punctuation. I'd like to read Romans 1.16, if you have your Bibles with you. And then we're going to flip over to Romans 12.2. And then as I'm sure you're used to, um, having known your pastor as I do, we're, I'm going to jump around a little bit in scripture and going to bring out several verses, so I'm, I know you're all used to that. <laughs> I, now, I promise I won't get on top of the pulpit. I won't stand on top of a pew. I won't throw anything across the room or anything like that. So it won't, it won't be too scary or too traumatic. So very familiar Verses in scripture, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then flipping over to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, how many, how many people know what September 23rd is? Every year, September 23rd is a momentous holiday. We all should celebrate. Y'all should know what this is. Everybody remember September 23rd? Nobody? I guess I'm the only one. Just joking, of course. But that being said, it's National Punctuation Day. I'm full of useless information. I oftentimes tell my students, if you want some useless bit fact on nature or history, come by my office. Because I love little facts and little hints and little, little uh, tidbits. Um, they fascinate me. And I, I came across this article a few years ago 
that was in celebration of National Punctuation Day. Anybody ever notice we're getting a lot of holidays, national holidays? Like, suddenly it's, it's National Donut Day, and the next day it's National Waffle Day. I think I know why we have an obesity problem in the U.S. At least Punctuation Day doesn't involve any um, unhealthy snacks. So I ran across this article that brought out a lot of different points of punctuation that were suggested to be added to the English language and never really took off. So you have something like the enter or bang, which that one I've actually seen a couple of times, which is a question mark slash exclamation point. I wish I had, a, I wish I had my slides that I, I had previously for this, but I didn't have them on my, my current laptop. But um, it's basically like you did what? So you're exclaiming it, but you're also asking the question. And there's a lot of different fascinating ones. There's a one that's a love point, and it has you know, two little question marks, one turned front ways, one turned back ways, so it looks like a little heart, and it's supposed to show uh, that uh, you're communicating love, you're communicating affection. But there's a couple of other points that kind of fascinated me. The sarc mark, for one, is, is one that tremendously fascinated me because I sometimes have a hard time with sarcasm. I can be sarcastic, but I never know if someone else is being literal or being sarcastic. Case in point, my first year working with Brother French, he comes in with my Christmas present. (laughs) Sister French is laughing. She knows where I'm going. This is going to revolutionize your life, Sister Mass. This is just going to revolutionize your ministry. Your ministry is never going to be the same. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, is it a book? What in the world is this? And so I open it and it's Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. Now, thankfully, the, the gifts got better as the years came along. I think Sister French might have had a little bit to do with that. Um, but there is an importance to punctuation. A lot is communicated through the way that a sentence is, is punctuated. For instance, um, let's go eat, comma, grandma, means something totally different than let's go eat, grandma. One is a uh, very kind family dinner, and one, the alternative, is not such a kind family dinner to say the least. But I want to talk about two of these points that were suggested to be added to the English language that really kind of fascinated me. The first is called a doubt point. A doubt point was supposed to end a sentence with a note of skepticism. And I found it fascinating because I find in our current culture that everything that society tries to promote and everything that society tries to suggest is added, is ended with a doubt point. Every concept of morality, every concept of righteousness or unrighteousness, they want to throw a doubt point at the end. They want to say perhaps maybe we even have some apostolics. I know none here today, but maybe we have some apostolics that want to say you know, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and throw a doubt point at the end. Maybe. But you know what? We've, we've, we cannot put a doubt point at the end of doctrine. We cannot put a doubt point at the end of righteousness and unrighteousness righteousness, because we are living in a society where truth is being trampled on the ground. We're living in a society where truth is bleeding and dying on the street. We're living in a society that has forsaken its Judeo-Christian values. We're living in a world where media and entertainment are speaking out and speaking into the hearts and lives of our young people and arguing that all truth is re- relative, arguing that all truth is up for grabs and arguing that, that it's just something that should be left in grandma and grandma's attic, locked away in a box and kept from society. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not willing to put a doubt mark on any aspect of this message. I'm not willing to put a doubt mark on righteousness versus unrighteousness because there is a truth that is forever settled in heaven. There is a truth that is going to sustain through time and through the ages. Society views itself as enlightened, as relevant. It leaves truth of scripture dying and bleeding. The concept of absolute truth is, is considered a curse word. 
when it comes to moral discussions because everything should begin and end with me. Everything begins and ends with how I feel. If I feel it's all right, if it makes me feel okay, then by golly, it must be all right. But that's not the way it goes. We cannot afford to allow society to put a doubt mark on situations, on, on, on truth, and on righteousness and holiness. We have to stand for something. Society has lost its sense of direction, and in the midst of the chaos, you have people suggesting that the right to a wedding cake is more important than the fact that the National Society for um, Human Rights said that 80% of persecution, violent persecution worldwide against religious groups is against Christians. It's not the Muslims, like they would suggest. It's not the, 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 the Hindu. It's not the Buddhist, but it's against the Christians. And yet we're fighting these little battles over wedding cakes. We're fighting battles over who is going to use which restroom. We've got to be a voice in this generation. We've got to be a voice in our world. When we have... People stand up at the Grammy Awards and suggest that a preacher who preaches against certain sins is not anointed. Let me tell you, that man doesn't know who's anointed. He's never felt the anointing of God, because if he felt the anointing of God, he could not say that with any sense of conscience. Actors, actresses, musicians, singers, athletes, they're all worshipped, they're all applauded, they're all lifted up and, and uh, seen as heroes to the populace with no regard to the lives they live. We put them on a pedestal and yet we wouldn't want our children to turn out like them. Humanity, let me tell you this. Humanity could burn every Bible. They could try to silence every preacher through, through paralyzing them in fear and the political, the, the political correct police and mechanism. But the reality of the situation is his truth will never be silenced. His truth will ever, forever march on. There is no way that his word is ever going to fall short. It's forever settled in heaven. C.S. Lewis put it this way. A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the world darkness on the walls of, of his cell. Let me say it again. A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the world darkness on the walls of the cell. They're mounting an attack against Christianity, but the reality of the situation is they can't touch the God of Scripture. They can't touch the truth of Scripture because his word is settled. He is God in heaven, and he is God in the earth beneath. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. God is grieved by the condition of the world, but no matter how vocally humanity attempts to negate his authority, he is still God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. When I read through scripture, I don't see doubt points. When I read through scripture, Genesis to Revelation, I don't see any doubt points along the way. God never says, I will never leave you or forsake you, maybe, unless I get a better idea or I have somebody I'd rather invest in. He never says that I might fill you with the Holy Ghost, but that I will fill you with the Holy Ghost. He never says that I will give you my grace and mercy, maybe. But no, everything in Scripture is absolute. Everything in Scripture is without question, is without doubt, is with, without any, any conflict of interest, which leads us to our next point. There's another point that I latched onto in this little article. It's called a certitude point. Because what a certitude point does is it means that you need to say something with unwavering conviction. It's a, as my grandpa would say, he was a southern man. He said, that's all they are to it. You had a discussion about politics. You had a discussion about religion. You had a discussion because you didn't like the place you were going to go out to eat. 
And at some point that discussion would end with that's all they are to it. And you knew you didn't say anything after that's all they are to it. Because that was, that was the, 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 the moment, that was the line in the sand and you did not cross that. And I want to tell you, I have some things I want to say that there is in, that's all there are to a moment with. There are some things that I want to put certitude on. There are some things that I want to say with unwavering conviction. So I have three points that I want to bring to you tonight. Three points of certitude that I want to lift up to you that is imperative for the church. You guys are, are, are multiplying. I talked to Brother Fringe. I talked to Sister Fringe. God's doing a wonderful work in your midst. And I know, as Brother Ryan Fringe said tonight, that, that oftentimes revival, it has to start with the saints. It has to start right here in the church. And once the church gets on fire, once the saints get to where they need to be, then you start seeing everybody come through the doors. Then you start seeing this multiplication and you see the anointing flowing and you see the revival. And so I just want to, I just want to encourage you today. And I want to, I want to give you some points of certitude that will help you get to that place. The first point of certitude is doctrine. We have to have doctrinal certitude. It's not up to just the preachers. It's not up to just the pastors, but it's up to each and every individual, every saint, every singer, every musician, every preacher, every minister, every missionary. It's up to each and every one of us to put a point of certitude at the end of doctrine. You see, we, we are in a society that the world is not only in chaos, but the church world is in chaos. I'm from Indianapolis, and I can tell you, you go over to the east side of town, and you've got a a shopping mall with five churches in it. Five churches in a shopping mall. Now, are they good churches? Well, you tell me. One of them is a movie theater church that has their own marquee and shows what, mo- what movies they're going to be showing for the next service. That's not what this world needs. That is not what this world needs. One writer put it this way. Religion is what you hear at church religion. Is that which can bend and turn and descend and ascend to fit every crooked phase or of selfish, worldly society religion, is that religion which is less scrupulous, less generous, less just, less considerate for man than even my own ungodly, worldly, blind in nature. No, when I look for religion, I must look for something above me, not something beneath. All this world has to offer, all mainstream Christianity has to offer, is just a shadow of the reality of what God is, the reality of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he's able to do to transform lives. You know, having a getting together and having a little Lego, a little Lego video show, and talking about Moses parting the Red Sea with little Lego characters for adults—that is not going to win the day. But we need some apostolics, not just ministers, but we need apostolic saints who can get on fire with the revelation of who Christ is, who can let it sink into the into the into the core of their being. Because it's not just when did the the, the fish emblem or the ichthus become on the back of someone's BMW become the mark and replace the imprint of the cross upon the human heart? When did wearing a little cross around your neck symbolize more than a life that's being transformed? See, we have something to offer. We don't just have a little necklace we can dangle in front of their faces. We don't have a little fish for them to slap on their car or a little video to show them. We have the reality of who Christ is. We have the Holy Ghost that is able to transform lives. We have God who is able to heal, who is able to save, who is able to deliver. So let's talk about it for a few minutes, friends. The church world, mainstream church world, mainstream society may call me enlightened, but I still believe that God is the creator of all that has ever been created. All things were created by him, and without him was nothing made, as John chapter 1 said. I know my own, my own righteousness, my own attempts at holiness are as filthy rags in his presence. I know I need a God who came to earth and wrote himself in human flesh to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I know that I was shaping an iniquity. I know that I need his help to escape the sin issue because my disobedience separated me from the cross of Calvary. I still believe that God is what he says he is and that he means what he says in Deuteronomy 4 verses 35 and 39 when he says that there is none other God beside him, none else beside him, that he is God, the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none us. I still believe in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I still believe him when he says in Deuteronomy 32 to 39, see now that I, even I, am he and there is no God with me. I still believe when he says that he's God alone in Psalm. Because see, points of certitude. Points of certitude. And what I love about it is he doesn't flip over into, into the New Testament and say, okay, in the Old Testament I said there was no Savior beside me. Now in the New Testament I'm going to introduce you to a new Savior, Jesus Jehovah Jr. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? He said, I am the Savior. He said, I am the Messiah. He said, I am God, robed in human flesh. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. That's a point of certitude, folks. What are other points of certitude in Scripture? Without holiness can no man see God. And holiness isn't just about what I wear on the outside. Yes, that's a part of it, but it's... It's the fact that who I am internally, my relationship with God should reflect what I am on the outside. It's all about relationship. It's all about the internal being shown on the external. What about this? Paul put his own point of certitude here, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's a point of certitude, folks. Without controversy, without any question, without any debate, without any, without any maneuvering or, or semantics, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, and received up into glory. I still tend to believe that it takes repentance. It takes baptism in Jesus' name. It takes them filling the Holy Ghost, or that stony heart is not going to go out of our flesh. I still believe in the salvation message. I still believe that you have to be born of both the water and the Spirit. I still believe in the power of prayer because you know what? I felt his anointing. I've seen what his anointing can do. I know that he's able to break every chain of bondage. I know he can break the chains of alcoholism and addiction. I've seen it in my own family. I know that he is a healer. Let me tell you something. I don't even know if you, you two know this. When I was born, I was born with one leg significantly shorter than the other. When it's on all my medical records, my mama took me to a Trinitarian Pentecostal church in, in Michigan. And they may, may have been Trinitarian, but let me tell you something. They knew about the power of the name. Because they didn't call on no Father. They didn't call on no Holy Ghost. They called on the name of Jesus. And instantaneously I was healed. I know I serve a healing God. I know I serve a God who there is no impossibility with him. I know he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. But more than not that, he's my God. He's my King of kings. He's my Lord of lords. And I'm not just saying that with my mouth. But I'm going to sit him on the throne of my heart. I'm going to sit him in the throne of my life. How about this? Knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God for, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Points of certitude. You know, we don't have to go to our own intellect. We don't have to go about it with our own wisdom and try to figure this thing out. All we have to do is pick up this beautiful book that God has given us. Pick up this book that he's preserved for us. And you know what the glory of it is? Is we can pick it up and we can say, every promise in this book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I'm going to stake my life on it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to believe it. Everything that I am 
is for his glory. But the question remains, are you and I going to be representatives of his body if all we have is certitude in terms of doctrine? Is the cry of utter and complete certainty regarding doctrine enough to carry the day and enough to bring revival? And I would submit to you today it is not. And here's the reason why. I brought up my, my grandfather earlier. He, uh, I've heard him debate. He's brought me into debates with Baptists and Methodists and everything else over baptism in Jesus' name over the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I've heard him argue for holiness. I've watched as God has moved in his life. He's been baptized in Jesus' name. He has not been filled with the Holy Ghost. But the reality of the situation is truth is powerless unless you release it to transform your life. If all truth is, is words that you speak. If all truth is, is words that you say. If all truth is, is a platform of discussion. Or your way of, of winning an argument, it's not going to make a difference. But you've got to be in submission to truth. So the second point of certitude has to do with relationship. Relationship to God and to truth. Because it's not just enough to love truth. If you just love truth, you might just love being right. But you've got to fall in love with the creator of truth. You've got to fall in love with the God of truth. It's got to become more than just what we say. More than just what we sing. More than what we, what we preach. I told Sister French this the, the other night. My, we got in church when I was five years old. Started to. Of course, it's a long, lengthy, uh, lengthy progression. Um, I was about 13 years old. I, uh, I've been quirky since a young age. We got to do a, a paper in the Christian school over uh, any subject we wanted to. I decided to do it over the one that's the Godhead um, at 13. <laughs> I was probably the only kid that did that, but that's all right. So I, I went to my principal, Brother Barkas, and he suggested several books and talked to me. And I quizzed over Pentecostal doctrine and Bible quizzing already, so I already knew a lot of these verses. But I picked up these books and started to make all these connections. And I was like, wow, this verse connects with this verse, and this verse connects with this verse. And I jumped in the car, bouncing off the walls, totally excited about the fact that I was understanding this and I was getting this. And I said, well, Brother Barker said this, and Brother Bernard said this, and Brother McGee said this, and this verse says this, and this verse said that. And my mom looked at me, and all she heard is, so-and-so says this, so-and-so says that, so-and-so says this. And... We literally got probably less than 200 feet in the car before she looked at me and dropped the bomb and said, you know, I don't know about that one is the Godhead thing. I really don't know how I feel about that because what about when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? What about him committing his spirit into, unto the Father at the cross? And I remember my heart just fell into the pit of my stomach and I started trying to be debating and I, I started trying to debate and trying to convince her and trying to convert her because here I'm thinking my, my mom is unsaved. Like freaking out at the moment, totally petrified. We get about 10 or 15 minutes down the road. She pulls over the car and she said, I'm glad you know what you believe. It was one of the most transformative moments in my young life because I recognized that if God had called me into ministry, if God had filled me with his spirit, if I had laid under the pew at church camp for 45 minutes, an hour, committing my life, my blood, my sweat, my tears, everything that I was, to his name and to his authority and to his calling and to his commission, then I had to have more than just head knowledge. It had to be more than just synapses in my brain. I had to, to be connected with my heart. It had to go from my head to my heart. That's what we've got to do. The certitude of doctrine has to turn into certitude of relationship. Relationship to truth, relationship to the God of truth. Because you see, 
when it goes from the head to the heart, we recognize who we are in relationship to him. We recognize that we're finite, that we don't understand it all, that we don't get it all, and he's the infinite one. So when we're going through the trial, when we're going through the test and we don't understand, we can look at it and we can say, he is God. He knows the beginning from the end. He is the author and the finisher of my faith. He knew me before he formed me. And that gives us a peace and a strength to make it through the trial, to make it through the tribulation. That means that when we're going through the trial and when we're going through the test, that we know we have hope beyond the Jordan River. We know that this is not the end of our days. We know that we have a hope that supersedes all the trials and tribulations of this life because we know the one who sits on the throne of glory, and we know he's not a God who's removed, but he's a God who's able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It's only through relationship with him that we're able to to have the heartbeat of God. That's been my prayer so much lately. God, give me your heart. I want your burden for souls. I want a burden for your anointing. I want a burden to see people baptized in your name, to see people filled with your spirit. We've got to have his heartbeat if we're going to see revival in these days. And this world needs revival. This world needs what we have because you know what? We have the religion. We have the truth that is not beneath them but is above them. That, that says, come on, take me by the hand. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to lift you up. I'm not going to leave you where you're at. I'm not going to leave you in your destitute and broken state. I'm going to take you to the one who's able to mend the broken heart. I'm going to take you to the one who's able to fix the brokenness in your life. Because see, when, we, when, when it's one thing to say who he is, but when we recognize the reality of who he is, when we have that reality of revelation, we recognize that we are serving a limitless God. And we're not going to try to limit God anymore. You see, the Israelites, when they got to the Red Sea, they didn't say, stop and say, no, God, I really wanted you to send us a boat like Noah's Ark to shoot us across. I really wanted an angelic force to come and carry us and, and give us little angels' wings to float across. No, because they recognized that they served a limitless God. They didn't debate it. Instead, they just put their feet to the ground and started marching across that Red Sea. When we serve, when we recognize, when we have that reality of revelation, when it goes from head to heart, then we recognize the limitlessness of the God we serve. We recognize that he has all power in heaven and earth, and it is in his hands. We recognize that there is no impossibility. There's no mountain too tall. There's no mountain too strong that he cannot bring us across. There's no desert too far or too destitute that he will not be our great shepherd and lead us across. We may not always see his hand, but that does not mean he is not leading We may not always understand the direction he's taking us, but that does not mean he's with us every step of the way. I can tell you from personal experience, I've been in so many situations where I didn't understand. And I can't tell you authoritatively that God took care of every situation. But what I can tell you is he never left me and he never forsook me. What I can tell you is he was there every step of the way. And through all those trials, through all those tribulations, through all those tests, I see his fingerprint every step of the way. I feel his touch when I look back. Every step of the way, even when I didn't feel him in the moment, he was there. Even when I didn't understand and I couldn't comprehend why I was going through the trial and why I was going through the test, the reality of the situation is my God knew. He had been there before me. He had seen it before me. He knew me before he formed me. He knew my inconsistencies. He knew my weaknesses. He knew my struggles. He knew the trials and tests. And so he had already prepared the way. He had already prepped me. He had already provided a way of escape and had already provided provision. That's what certitude of relationship will do. Certitude of relationship says, I serve an almighty God. Certitude of relationship says it's not just a God that I'm going to get up and talk about. It's not just that I want to win an argument with somebody at work over the oneness that God. But it says, you know what? I serve the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in space. I serve the one who loved us so much that he robed himself in human flesh. He came to earth to seek and to save my soul. When I was broken, when I was destitute, when I had no hope in this life, when I had no recourse, he was there. 
when I was completely hopeless, when I did not have the wisdom, when I did not have the capability, when I did not have the strength to make it another step, he was there. That's the God that I serve. See, it becomes personal. It goes beyond just what I can speak with my mouth, but it goes from my head, it goes to my heart, and it transforms my life. That's what truth needs to do. You know what? If all truth is is a platform to, 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 for discussion, then we're never going to introduce the world to the transformative power of truth. And as I said before, truth is able to transform. That going into a ton of detail, my grandma was a bartender, used to throw good men out of the bar for years, and you know what? We started going to, to Calvary Tabernacle. She got angry about something that had taken place. I was five years old asleep on the pew, and she said, I'm getting out of here. I'm never walking in these doors again. My mom woke me up, opened the back doors of the church, and no grandma. Where did grandma go? Oh, my word, where did grandma go? Little old white-haired lady in front of her looked look back, turned to my mom, and said, you looking for your mom, honey? Yeah, I am. She said she was leaving. She's done down there getting the Holy Ghost. My grandma didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. She didn't know about baptism in Jesus' name. She didn't know... Uh, she didn't know anything about God. She didn't know if they were Trinitarian. She didn't know if they were oneness. But my grandma, who had been a bartender for years, who had been an alcoholic, who had been hooked on drugs at different points in her life, was down there spinning like a top, speaking in a heavenly language. That's what God can do. And you know what? She didn't look back. She didn't touch the alcohol again. She didn't look back. She lived a life that was transformed because that's what the Holy Ghost will do. And that's what we need to bring to the world. And the only way we can bring it to the world is when we allow it to transform our lives each and every day. Each and every day living submitted to the word of God. Putting us, ourselves in right relationship with who he is and who we are. It can't happen without prayer. It can't happen without hitting our knees. If we don't hit our knees, we get out of right relationship and we start thinking we can get through things on our own. We start think, thinking we can make it through our own strength, our own abilities, our own intellect. But you know what? The minute we submit ourselves each and every day at the foot of the cross of Calvary, we realize we have nothing that will allow us to make it through this life because I can't even walk without holding his hand. I need him more than the next breath I breathe. I need him more than the next step I take. I need him more than my mortal life because I have no hope outside of him. And that's where we need to be because when we recognize that we are hopeless without him, then he can come in and he can blow our minds with what he's capable to do through us. Certitude, folks. We've got to have certitude. Certitude of relationship compels us to seek his face when we don't maybe feel like it. It pushes us to prayer and fasting. It pushes us to deeper relationship because you know what? When you start having certitude about relationship and you go a, a day or so without prayer, or you go a day without looking at the word of God, you start to feel conviction hit your heart. You start to feel God moving in your spirit saying something's not right. You need to get back to the altar. You need to get back to that place of commitment because it puts you in right relationship. As I said earlier, it takes us from just saying he's the king of king and singing it and shouting it from the mountaintop to truly saying he is the king of kings in my life. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing when you're in the midst of the storm. It's another thing when your boat is being tossed to and fro by waves to recognize he is my king of kings and to cry out to that king of kings even when we don't see his face and we don't feel his voice and the winds seem like they're going to capture us. Are we in love with the king of kings or are we simply attached to Pentecostal culture? Because we can't be just attached to the Pentecostal culture. It can't be a social club. We have to be in love with the king of kings. We have to be in love with the giver of truth. I'm, I, I know it's a Wednesday night and I'm probably uh, preaching a little hard for a Wednesday night, but I have one more point I want to bring out to you. And that's the certitude of identity. Of course, we have our apostolic identity in terms of doctrine. We've covered that. But I want to talk to you about certitude of identity. 
because the world refuses to make any statement regarding morality or righteousness. In fact, they want to suggest that every statement we try to make is incorrect. Not only incorrect, but is, is blasphemous that we would suggest that there is a right or a wrong and that there is more absolutes and that there are some things that are sin and we're going to call them sin and that there are some things that are righteousness and we're going to identify them as righteousness. But the funny thing about that is, is they're unwilling to acknowledge that there is more absolutes and that there is a truth and that there is a falsehood. But the flip side of that is they're very comfortable with telling you your destiny. They're very comfortable with telling you exactly where you belong in the, in, on the rungs of culture. You see, you may be sold down to doctrine. You may be working on your relationship, but you might find some points of certitude. You might find that you need to, to, to uh, strengthen some points of certitude concerning identity because even as saints, we are often the products of broken, the broken world. I don't care if you're 10th generation Pentecostal. There's brokenness somewhere in your heart. I don't care if you just walked in the doors of the church. There's brokenness. And when we recognize that we are the products of a broken world, then we can then recognize that we serve a God who is able to touch. And we serve a God who is able to heal that brokenness, who's able to bind up our wounds. We don't have to wrestle under the weight of past sins. We don't have to wrestle under the weight of guilt for things that have already been placed under the blood. And I want to talk to somebody here today. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're new to the church or maybe you've been in church for quite a while, but you're still wrestling under the weight of those sins. And you're still feeling like you're not worthy enough and you're still feeling like you're not good enough. God is here to tell you tonight that you need to rearrange your identity and you need to look at Satan and say, I am redeemed. I am a child of the king. What is it that Paul said in 1 Corinthians? He said, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, uh, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But what does he say? And such were some of you. But now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. He didn't say you're still caught. He didn't say you're still having to tread water. He said you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified by the Spirit of God. So if you're still wrestling with those things and you're feeling like you don't have anything to give to God, that you can't, that you can't witness to somebody or you can't reach out and love to somebody because, my Lord, you know, I had sins in my life before, then you need to, to go back to the cross of Calvary and you need to recognize that when his blood covered you, it filled you completely from head to toe. When his blood covered you, he released you of the condemnation of that sin. And you need to look at Satan and say, no, I'm not bound. I'm not going to be held hostage by the sins of the past. My God has forgiven me, and my God is greater than, than that. The devil's a liar. He'd like to hold you in spiritual bondage so can, he can prevent growth, so he can prevent ministry, so he can prevent spiritual growth and edification of the saints. But the reality of the situation is he has nothing against you. He has no way to accuse you anymore because all those sins are under the blood. Let me tell you this. You're not a statistic. You're not just a simple tally mark on some psychologist research paper. Again, without going through the whole story, I came from a broken home. I had a father who was absent from the time I was 18 months old, never paid support, never, never saw him, never saw any side of that family. And had God not delivered us from that situation, I would be dead today. He was mentally abusive. He was physically abusive. He was psychologically unstable and capable of, of, of feeling remorse for any of his actions. And this world would have put a label on me. This world would have said, she's not going to survive. She's going to end up an alcoholic. My grandma was an alcoholic. 
My grandpa's whole side of his family was alcoholic. They would have said she's going to be a druggie. They would have said she's going to have a child out of wedlock because that's what the statistics say. But you know what? I serve a God. I serve a God who can sweep into any situation, who can sweep into any person's life and can make a difference, can make a change, can make a transformation that we can't understand. It's beyond my capability to understand why God took me as a child, as a five-year-old, and, and, and brought me to revelation of this truth. It's unrecognizable to me what he saw that made me worth saving. It's unrecognizable to me, but what I do know is I'm not held by those generational curses. What I do know is regardless of what the psychologists would say, regardless of what the statisticians would say, I serve a God who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the brokenness in your life, the brokenness in your family. He is able. He's able to touch. He's able to move. He's able to transform your life. And he's able to prove this world wrong. They have no hole over you. They have no bondage over you. You've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. You are a child of the King of Kings. You are a saint of the Most Holy God. And somebody needs to look at Satan and say, I will no longer allow you to shape my destiny. I will no longer allow you to throw a point of certitude on the, on the fact that I should be broken. That I should be a product of this broken world. Because I'm going to throw a point of certitude down and I'm going to say I'm a child of the king. I'm going to say I'm going to live a life that's transformed. I'm going to say you have no hold over me. And somebody, I'm speaking to somebody here today who needs to understand this, who needs to latch on to this and recognize it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what happened before you darkened the doors of the church. It doesn't matter what your family looks like. I have a lot of people in my family that are still a mess. I have situations that are beyond my comprehension, but what I do know is God has been there for me. What I do know is God is able. What I do know is God has taken me from what I should have been, and he's transformed me into something else. He took me out of the darkness. He moved me into his marvelous light. That's a glorious thing, church. That's what he's capable of doing. And when he has seen fit to allow his blood to cover my life, when he has seen fit to touch me with his Holy Spirit and fill me with his presence, when he has seen fit to call me into ministry, when he has seen fit for me to walk into his presence, lift up his holy name, and to feel his spirit... I'm not going to live according to what the world wants me to be. I'm not going to live according to what Satan would try to throw up in my way. I'm not going to live a life of brokenness. I'm going to say I am redeemed. He is the mender of my broken heart. He is the transformer of human lives. And he is able to do it, folks. He's able to do it, church. When my weakness fails, his strength is perfect. When I don't know the way, he is my fire by night and he is my light by day. When I don't understand, I'm going to put my hand in the hand of the great shepherd. When I don't know the way, I'm going to look to the king of kings. When I don't understand, I'm going to say, you know what? My, my shit may be being tossed right now, and I may feel like I'm just recovering from one wave when another wave and another situation hits, but my soul is anchored in his name. And that's what matters. My soul is anchored in his name, so nothing else matters. The winds can blow. The storm can rage. The thunder can crash. The lightning can flash across my sky, but you know what? My soul is forever anchored in that precious name of Jesus Christ because you see when that name was called over me in baptism, when that worthy name was spoken over me, when he filled me with his spirit, I no longer had to wrestle just with my own identity because I became a child of the king. And when I became a child of the king, he gave me the power and the authority. He gave me the strength, his strength to make it through. He gave me his wisdom when my wisdom falls short. He gave me his holiness when my holiness and my righteousness was as filthy rags because I no longer have to make it on my own power or my own ability because my intellect is not enough. My strength is not enough. 
My ability to walk through this life on my own is never going to win the day. It's never going to get me to the promised land. But you know what? I don't have to wrestle with that because my daddy's the king of kings. I don't have to wrestle with that because he is my creator. I don't have to wrestle with that because the one who hung the stars in space knows my name. I don't have to wrestle with it because when he formed me, he knew me. As I said a moment ago, he is the author and the finisher of my faith. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to walk through life alone. You don't have to walk through life just with who you are internally. Because you know what? He's able to transform a sinful heart, but he's also able to take the heart of a saint and transform you into something that you could never imagine. You may feel like like he recognized that he's transformed your heart and transformed your mind, but the reality of the situation is the transformation is a daily thing. Because when you are a child of the king, when he have his name spoken over you in baptism, when you have that worthy name to call upon, you no longer are functioning within the confines of your own abilities. Because when you get in the midst of the storm, when you get in the midst of the trial, when you get in the, nest, the midst of the test, all you have to say is Jesus. All you have to say is in Jesus' name. I remember as a small child being afraid and feeling like there wasn't peace. I remember having nightmares. I remember being scared. And I remember my mama walking into the room and we weren't in church yet, but you know what? She knew some gospel songs. She'd sing Jesus Loves Me and Jesus Loves All the Little Children in the World. And that was nice, but it didn't fix it. I'll tell you what fixed it. What I would request every time, there's something about that name. Even as a small child, I felt the Spirit of God when she would begin to sing those words. I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't understand about the power and authority of that name. I didn't understand about his ability to transform. But what I did understand is there's something about that name. Because when that name is spoken, I feel something shift in my heart. When that name is spoken, I feel a peace that I cannot understand. A peace in the midst of the storm. A peace in the midst of the trial. I may not know how it's going to turn out, but I know I have peace because there is a name. I know I have peace because I know the name to call upon. I know that worthy name. And I know that all power in heaven and earth is, is, is rested upon that name. I've gone a little long. Let's go ahead and stand. So three points. Doctrinal certitude, certitude of relationship, and certitude of identity. It doesn't matter where you're at if the musicians could come, where you're at in your Christian walk. God is talking to you here today. He doesn't want you to live in bondage to the things of the past. He doesn't want you to live in bondage to what this world would desire for you to be. He wants you to recognize that truth is able to transform you. And so somebody here needs to recognize that they need to put some points of certitude in some place in their life. If you've, been, if you've been going through this thing alone, trying to make your own way, trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and trying to figure out how to, how to, how to make it through this life and walk through the, the daily grind and the family situations and the, the, the work situations that are beyond our control, then you know what? Maybe you just need to put your hands back in the hands of the master again and say, you know what? I'm going to put my hand back in yours, and I'm going to say with certitude, I am sold out to this doctrine with certitude. I'm going to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform my life with certitude. I'm going to live as a child of the King, and I'm going to live with my apostolic identity. Let's just lift our hands for a few minutes, and let's just call out to the King of Kings. Let's call out to the Lord of Lords. These altars are open. If anybody would like to come down, let's talk to him for a few minutes. Somebody here needs to reach out to God. Somebody here needs to recognize that there are some points of certitude that God is talking to you about right now, which is able to, are able to transform your life, which are going to be able to make the difference, which are going to be able to bring, give you the strength to make it through the test and make it through the trial.
You thought I was worth saving So you came and changed my life You thought I was worth keeping So you cleaned me up inside You thought I was to die for So you sacrificed your life So I could be free So I could be whole So I could tell everyone 